You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. And welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. And in particular, focus on our topic here today, I want to reach out to the ancestors, to those people that lived before us, those who lived well and died well, and are now true ancestral helping spirits, and bring to us this great legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. And they bring that legacy to us so that we, the living, can be assisted by those who have gone before us, that we can learn from their mistakes, that we can draw on their collective wisdom, and that we can feel them at our back so that we have the courage to step into our current time and do what our time is asking us to do. And that we can do that in a way that we innovate and change and make the medicine needed in our time so that we are worthy and honorable ancestors for those who are coming. And I want to give thanks. It's a little change on what you're all used to. To give thanks to the great web of life that dreamt of these ancestors so these ancestors could dream of us. And I want to give gratitude to the earth and her dreaming for dreaming of life, this dream that is such beauty and complexity, such diversity and harmony, and how in just being, in all the many ecosystems around the planet, both on land and air and sea, that she shows us again and again how we could be doing this in a good way. And I give gratitude to the sun and the moon that conspire with her for this particular time on the face of the earth that is suitable to humans. I give gratitude to the, uh, the galaxies that dream of solar systems and gratitude to the universes that dream of galaxies and gratitude to that which was before all of this, that great mystery before space, before time, that was the original dreamer. And I give gratitude for that original dream. I give gratitude to the elemental energies that came into form out of that dream, to Grandfather Fire and Grandmother Ice and how they hold their essence so strong and true throughout time beyond our ability to imagine that fire remains fire, water remains water, and that here we are at the other end of things on this great dreaming, this messy end of things here, and that we ask Grandfather Fire and Grandmother Ice to help each one of us to dream our own essence with such clarity and strength and shape-shifting wisdom as these two most ancient ancestors, for our ancestors are not only human, they've been human the shortest time possible, but for much beyond that, They are other than human, and I give gratitude to these two ancient ones and ask them to help us each to learn how to dream our own essence 
as strong, as true, as clearly as fire and water. And that we bring that essence into full manifestation in our lives in as many ways as we can creatively understand we are called to do so. And may we do this with the grace and balance that the elemental ancestors teach us. And so for all of this web of life all around us, all the way back in time and forward in time, we give gratitude to all of the ancestors in their many forms. And as we feel their vast, diverse presence all around us, let's take a moment and settle into our place as the living. Manifest in a way that we ground to the center of the earth, that we open and connect to the heavens above. We draw these energies in, sending the earth energy up and the sky energy down, and we connect with our hearts. And may that essence of who we are in this life, supported by all of this energy around us, may we feel that essence and know that essence and do something in this day to bring that essence into manifestation in our lives. And for all the spirit help that we have to do that, I am deeply, deeply grateful. I'm also grateful to those of you uh, listeners who have been uh, donating to the show that Langston doesn't know who all of you are since the donations are coming here into Last Mass Center. So we just, both of us, Langston's with me today on the show, we want to give enormous gratitude to those of you who are able to donate financially and gratitude to those of you who donate in other ways, your time, your energy, your sharing, your practice, um, all of the many ways that you help Why Shamanism Now to grow. If you would like to donate to Why Shamanism Now as it is listener supported, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. And for those of you that download the show on iTunes, it's good for you to know that the show does have its own website where you can hit the support button, scroll down and donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. We are grateful for all of it as it all keeps the show on the air and the archives available to anyone anywhere in the world who can get onto the internet internet and access them. So we are grateful for all of your support. So I'd like to give gratitude to our guest, and Langston has been um, commandeering the show for the last uh, four weeks, and I'm deeply grateful for that, and I'm grateful for you to join me today as a guest, Langston. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, Christina. Thank you. And so Langston and I are here shamelessly <laughs> to, to promote an ancestral healing summit with Shift Network in which we are both a part and we are doing it today because the registration is open now and while the summit is free you do need to click a link to register and um, you can go to lastmaskcenter.org and click on the link there on the home page. And Langston, do you have a place people can click your link? Uh, yeah. I mean, right now, one place is on my Instagram at Occupy Your Heart and also um, on my Facebook as well. I don't have it on my website yet. All right. So you can go there and click the link, which will register you for this free summit. It's five days, April 8th through 12th. And it is covering um, many, many topics around ancestral healing. And so Langston is joining me here today. And for those of you that don't know, perhaps this is the first time you're listening to Why Shamanism Now. Welcome. 
uh, if that's you. And welcome to all of you who listen, uh, have been listening for years. Langston is a teacher and shamanic practitioner in New York City. He specializes in um, emotional clearing and radical transformation. He is also one of the first of two teachers at Last Mass Center learning to teach the cycle teachings. And he's joined us here today in particular, not just because he's part of the summit, but because he has a personal lineage of ancestral healing that is both deep and wide. Um, Langston's uh, personal work around his ancestors comes through African diasporic traditions, including the Dagra practices, um, Afro-Brazilian practices, Afro-Cuban and Yoruban practices, the training here in the cycle teachings, which focuses in the fourth year deeply on ancestral healing of those unresolved ancestors, those pesky unresolved ancestors, and also is deeply in the training with Daniel Four, which is another beautiful um, system for us as contemporary people to engage in our ancestral healing. So... Um, with that said, I want to invite you all, if you have questions, to email either Langston or myself. You're, you're welcome to go directly to Langston at Langston, L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N, at Occupy-Your-Heart.com. And you can come, you can email me as always at lastmaskcenter.org. We are not live today. So if you do have questions, um, please feel free to email either one of us or <laughs> register for the summit. <laughs> and many, many, many of your questions will be answered there. Okay, so Lightson and I thought, well, what if we did a show about the summit we wished we could have had, which is not a criticism of the summit? The summit is excellent. There are scientists and psychologists who are going to talk about why unresolved ancestral issues affect us. For those of you who want to hear the science and to get on board here, there's the ancient wisdom of traditional people. There's a there's good diversity in this summit, and they're speaking from from their own traditional experience of what is it that needs to be happening to restore this these relationships. And then there's the shamanic expertise of people like Langston and myself that are offering how, you know, how do we do this? How do we as contemporary people change our future by healing and transforming our past? And so, so today I thought, well, what if Langston and I got on the show here and we assumed everything that's going to be covered in the summit is already known to you? You're already on board. You get the science. You're already on board with that big vision that we get from traditional people and the, and practices as well from them. And that you're already on board as a contemporary person realizing I got to do this. These are my ancestors. And, you know, if not me, who? Right. So so what if that was already done? What what would we be able to talk about? Um and so, so Langston, I, I wanted to, uh, just to kind of jump in here. I think there's a couple aspects of your own personal lineage with ancestral healing that I missed. You want to you want to flesh that out for people? Um, yeah, no, that that you covered it pretty well. Um, I mean, I'm a person who, like many of us, I think, but maybe me to an extreme extent, has a lot of different ancestries. Many who were on um, different sides during different time periods of victim and victimizer or oppressed, oppressed and oppressor. And um, so I think 
ancestral healing was uniquely an important part of my practice, even more so than for how it is important for everyone, in that a lot of my own conflicts in my lineage were reflected and experienced and embodied in myself as inner conflicts with different aspects of who I am and what I need to do here. And um, yeah, so I just think that's one part of my lineage that's maybe helpful to provide a little context for the conversation, that I have people who come from many different countries in Africa, such as Mali, Nigeria, um, and other places, as well as um, ancestors that come from Germany, German Jews that come from Switzerland, um, Sephardic Jews, and um, some people from... um, the British Isles as well. So yeah, I just have a, have a lot going on in my own lineage. I think that required that I get skillful in this arena to survive. Mm-hmm. 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 So share with us this piece that I actually don't know about, this lineage of Jesse Hathaway. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I, I think that was from the, the notes I sent to you that I was just, uh, one practice that was coming to mind to just share um, came to me through um, the practitioner, uh, Jesse Hathaway, and uh, he talks. He t- taught me about the practice of a Cruzeiro das Almas, which is a practice in Brazil where you'll find in many cemeteries, um, particularly in sort of a Catholic tradition, of these votive crosses in the cemetery that are these huge crosses um, that are very central And what they essentially are is a place where any soul who doesn't have a burial ground um, where their people can visit can be given offerings there. So it's like where all the lost souls essentially come to receive their respect and offerings and connection. And there's a song that's often sung when sort of erecting or beginning to do any kind of worship at that cross and the english translation of that song is that there at the divine cross of souls where the souls have been praying the souls cry out of happiness when their children come together and out of sadness when they do not want to come together so that was just coming to to mind um, to share today because i think it's a really good focal point for the fact that you know a lot of cultures all over the world have recognized that whether or not we know our people's names or know exactly where they're buried or even know where they're from. For those of us who were, you know, snatched from our lands due to slavery, we still, it's, there's still a recognized importance of giving respect, of giving energy to those well ones, those wise ones in our line, and to even to the ones who aren't yet well that need healing and need support because we are our ancestors walking. And so when we aren't in relationship with them and aren't tending to their healing, we carry wounds within ourselves that affect everything that we do. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is it is beautiful. I'm I'm just sort of thinking as you're talking about different shows in which this this awareness of there being like even in the the war and the soul shows Ed Tick was sharing about part of that process has to do with creating um, the Vietnamese tradition i'm not sure whether it's buddhist or not i can't remember but basically about creating this empty grave and going through the whole process and sort of opening this grave for those who weren't found and weren't buried properly and so going through this whole process of the the proper burial um 
not even knowing who's in the grave in a sense, just because it's the right thing to do and because it's needed for that soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. And in the very, very beginning of doing ancestral healing in the cycles, and so cycles only 30 years old, um, you know, which is not even a child <laughs> relative to these traditions. But in, in the very beginning, a lot of people found that the ancestors that they first came upon to assist were just people that didn't get buried properly. Like there wasn't necess- there were, was not necessarily something horrible that had happened or they hadn't been necessarily horrible people, but they just didn't receive the rights. And so they were just waiting mm. to receive what they perceived of as the proper rights in that relationship between the living and the dead to send them on their way properly. That's interesting mm-hmm. since, you know, we don't, you know, up until that point in time, we weren't really thinking about that. And now, 30 years later, there's a lot to think about. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, if we're operating off of this assumption that people have taken the uh, Ancestral Healing Summit and and maybe they've already experienced some of the work of people like you and and Daniel Four who are teaching us about this distinction that needs to be made between ghosts, people who are unresolved dead or are kind of sticking around the living and due to their own unreconciled lives and beliefs they carried that led to their lives ending in an unreconciled way are perpetuating those beliefs and problematic patterns in their living descendants. And it's sort of snowballing down the lines and getting worse with every generation. So we, we considering thinking about a world in which everyone already knows that distinction between those ghosts and the well ones who have truly lived well and died well or been supported in reconciling their lives after they died and moving to the ancestral realms and then are called back as a true ancestral helping spirit, which we talked about some as we talked about bones last week, the the year four in the cycle retreat where we really focus on doing this for our ancestors. If people already are familiar with that, then I think another important distinction to discuss is the difference between ancestors who are ghosts versus ancestors who maybe you just aren't morally or ethically in alignment with, but they're not actually ghosts. And that, that comes to mind to me as an important distinction I've been seeing lately as people become uh, more popularly engaged in anti-oppression work, anti-racist work in different ways of furthering social justice, um, I think in part in response to seeing such the egregious uh, ways that's not being served by our government. Um, I think when people come to their ancestors, sometimes they want, if, if an ancestor isn't up to d- date on the latest in social justice terminology, people can think, oh, well, then my ancestors are well and I have to do healing for them. And I think that's just an interesting distinction I've been seeing in some clients I've been guiding in healing work, um, that they need to learn that just because, for example, as, as a, like I was working with a client who um, was a woman and she was doing some deep healing work on ancestors who were men, who were unwell. And once they got to a place where they really were well, she still felt the ways they weren't entirely well around their understanding of gender and relationships between women and men and other genders out there. And so for her, she felt like, oh, well, then that means that I can't trust them yet. 
And so we had to explore how the first task was to get it, getting them really ancestralized and no longer ghosts. And then it was going to be a separate task, perhaps, to actually start going back to the even earlier well ones in the lineage who predated having all of these contemporary Western problems around gender and maybe helping them to shift and find the antidotes to those kind of biases, but that that wasn't an indication that they were still ghosts necessarily. Well, and you know, and it's, it's an interesting aspect to this work that's hard, I think, to describe to people until they begin to do it. But when the ancestors are well and true ancestral helping spirits, even if you don't quite align politically, <laughs> they can change. They can observe and, and pay attention to your contemporary life and understand it and their their awareness changes it's 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 um it's a fascinating element of this because in th theoretically they're dead <laughs> they're not supposed to be able to change anymore but there is something about establishing the well relationship that allows this slow growth over time so the place I've noticed it most profoundly in my own work is actually with my own father mm. and how his, um, his entire relationship with me and my work, now that he's an ancestral helping spirit, so I like to put him to work, right? <laughs> helping me, has completely changed. He, was, he loved me and was proud of me, but completely zero interest in what I was doing. Like none, <laughs> right, after all these years. But now that he's there with his own mother and father as a well ancestor, it took months, but but still really only months, before he started to get the hang of what was going on and started to develop an understanding of what was going on and an actual caring for what was going on. It was a huge change. And that's just one dead person, right? You know, imagine you know, if we we were in these well relationships with all of them, how how this could change? Um, yeah. And I, so I love how in um, even pop culture right now we're seeing this theme being explored. So I think we are really ready as a people for this conversation. Perhaps um, like even in uh, Black Panther, like it's a Disney movie mm -hmm. essentially, um, and uh, we see T'Challa having to go back to his ancestors who are well, who have been tended impeccably for, you know, who knows how many years. And yet he has to go back to them and say, guys, you really messed this up. Like mm -hmm. we need to do this differently moving forward. And I understand that this is what you did is in alignment technically with tradition, but this is not in alignment with my current understanding of my values and beliefs and principles. So we need to change this. Mm -hmm. That's what we're being yeah. to do as contemporary people right now. And so then this huge force of assistance, you know, it, it, it's like turning a great Titanic ship at sea, but it turns. It turns so so that, as you were saying, those ancestors that might not seem aligned with us turn slowly around 
in their awareness of things and and kind of catch up to present time. I mean, part of the reason I feel like that big field of ancestral helping spirits is not aligned with us is because we haven't been talking to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't had a chance. And, um, and they're sort of the quality of their stuckness, if you will, is not at all the same quality of the stuckness of the unwell ancestors. Mm-hmm. They are, they are truly in this, in a sense, an unchangeable mode. But I was thinking, I was actually talking about this at breakfast this morning. On the other hand, dead people, ghosts, you know, do learn to become more problematic in trying to get our attention to help them resolve things. You know, that's how we end up with poltergeists, right? Mm-hmm. So, so even the unresolved evolve in their effort to try to communicate with. So, so this to me is just a really interesting, you know, it goes in my shamanic nerd category, right? Of, of what's really going on here. This is so fascinating. Look at this. There's this evolution in this relationship as we begin to do this work in a good way together I, I i personally find it astounding and and it it talks to me about what is possible mm-hmm. so like right now part of my frustration with what's going on in our social cultural fabric is so much of the arguments that people are having they're important arguments but they but what nobody's noticing is they're based fundamentally in the assumption that nothing will change that 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 this current reality will stay the current reality and it's like wait a minute we're supposed to be talking about this from the perspective of a new possible future and so if we get our ancestors on board for this new possible future all of a sudden there's there's momentum and movement towards that in a way we can't imagine right now i mean i see some of the most powerful activists not realizing the degree to which they're not actually visualizing a new future that the problems will still be inherent in that new future we just deal with it differently it's like well like what if they just weren't there you know yeah it's it's really it's really troubling because i mean it makes you think of that that i think it's a howard zinn quote that's like there's no neutral on a moving train um and it's a sense of time and our future and, and the great dreaming as this moving train that we're all on and if we're only addressing the discomfort of the present and the problems we're seeing in the present and not actually visioning of the future. But we, what I find we do is continually limit our, both our present and our future that we begin, we're not even maintaining the status quo. We begin actively limiting what's even possible in the present moment. I think I see this a lot in um, the field of, of uh, psychology and psychoanalysis right now in that it's become the, the pathologies that at one point were seen as um, you know, anomalies have become so widespread in our culture that they're becoming normalized. And we're looking more in a sense in the, you know, to speak for all of psychology, what I see broadly, at least in popular psychology, is there's this focus on managing symptoms and, and just how we can all sidestep around each other's trauma or learn to live with our own trauma versus actually believing that this trauma can be fundamentally transformed and no longer a factor in our life. Right. And we're talking about one of the ways to do that, you know, in addition to that is like, we're talking about how sometimes these inner 
trauma conflict qualities are part of our internalization of our of our unresolved ancestral conflicts. Exactly. And so it's like in a way it's like we're taking this collective trauma of the ancestors and doing the same thing we're doing on this individual trauma level of thinking, oh, this is just going to continue to get bigger. These mounds of trauma, we're all sidestepping around. And all we can do is learn to like politely talk about them and acknowledge them versus actually believing in the possibility of addressing them at their root. So they're no longer part of the cultural landscape and part of the cultural wounding we're all feeling. You know, and just just to for me, what as we're talking about this, what I keep seeing is so so uh, you know as you know, but for the listeners, uh, a big um, functioning piece in the shamanic work of this ancestral uh, healing the the unwell ancestors, those that are unresolved, is this big cave in in the journey world, and we had only done um, the ancestral healing workshop a handful of times. And I'd only taught it as a unique weekend. I don't know, five times, maybe. So, so maybe 20 years of work. I mean, 20 years is not that long in the grander scheme of things. And I was already starting at times when I was asking questions about the ancestral work to see this cave emptied of the unresolved ancestors. So instead of this normalizing of the unresolvedness that we're talking about, seeing that that this is an anomaly and it is a finite problem and it can be resolved should we choose to do that. And for me, that's an amazingly inspiring image that we could get everybody back where they need to go. <laughs> and 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 the living could have all of this help and much less of this this baggage really of other people's problems that we are unknowingly making our own. Yeah. 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 I mean when I think about that possibility, I mean, yes, that's where we need to go. It's not even a question of like we can go there and it, it's a beautiful dream that we can go there and also it is a necessity. That there's I don't another way forward without emptying out that cave because there's so much other work to do once you have your well ancestors and that's something I've been experiencing both in the cycle teachings and my work with um Dr. Daniel Poor that there is this this way that once we have gotten our ancestors really well the majority of them then we can start to have these much needed conversations about, okay, so now how do I resolve the inner conflicts between these two lines who are both well, but maybe still have some bones to pick with each other? How do I resolve those larger cultural troubles that are carried in my line so that I can be finding the solutions from, and from the wisdom of my, of my oldest peoples in my line to bring forward, to meet the needs of the present time? And then how can I begin to look at and really take accountability for the harms that my people have done and begin to take new actions in my present day life that start to reconcile and remediate their harms, or at the very least acknowledge them in all that I do in a way that allows me to truly be a force of change in relationship to these larger cultural stories and not just at the mercy of them. So I really want to acknowledge what Langston is saying, everybody, because this is the difference between continuing to treat our shamanic work as our own means of personal healing so we feel better and recognizing that's not really enough. 
that this is about getting to a place where we are able to to create these possibilities of the not these possibilities that we start to manifest the possibilities of medicine for the larger world for the for the greater collective which we honestly can't really create that change when we're living in the problem within ourselves because we just keep recreating that problem in a new way and so this is this is the ancestral healing equivalent of the same message that has been kind of underlying everything for the last few years on on why shamanism now but in my own work is is this isn't about us feeling good yes it'd be nice for us to heal it's it's a fundamental first step but that's not our end game so we need to get at it so, so I'm yeah. just amplifying. There's a lot to do, and many, much of it we will only be able to do, as Langston said, when we are right with our ancestors. So let's get let's get it going. Yeah. Um, so Langston, why don't you um, let's talk a little bit about that whole because you know what's before us culturally is multiple versions of systemized injustice, where you have the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, in many, many flavors, right? It's like Baskin and Robbins, right? Yeah. <laughs> 31 flavors of social injustice. Welcome to America. Um, so, so why don't you share your story of working with your um, Scottish overseer ancestor? Yeah. So um, recently, and this is actually at a, at a practitioner um, retreat in, in Daniel Forrest's teachings, we're doing some work around cultural healing internally in our lines. And so I knew that I had part of why I have Scottish ancestry is because there was an overseer who had raped another one of my ancestors. And so what I did is, and this is after I'd already done, you know, years of work healing my ancestral lines, the cycle teachings before the cycle teachings, and then also um, gone through Daniel Forge practitioner training. So my, my lines were very well for the most part. I still have other lines who aren't, well, I'm sure, out there, but my main four lineages were fully well and, and well-resourced, and I was in intimate relationship with them on a daily basis. And so I dropped into my connection with them and was really just asking, are there any conversations that need to happen in my lines Um between ancestors or between ancestral line. And at this point, I had already done a broader sort of harmonizing of my lineages so they felt good within me and could engage with each other in a good way. But I was still curious, is there something else in relationship to larger cultural troubles rather than just the personal lineage level that my ancestors need to talk about? And what came forward was that rape. And so the Scottish line was sort of called forward. And the ancestors of my mother's mother's line, many of whom go back to Nigeria, um, were also there. And they met the, a sort of representative of that line. And one of my guides, representative of my mother's mother's line. And the first thing they said was, we cannot have this conversation yet. These men are not well. And I could see in my sort of imagery and senses I was getting in, in my process that the men were a mess. They were, they were totally broken men that were just weeping and weeping as they tried to approach this conversation. And they're saying they were sorry, but the, my ancestors on my mother's side couldn't even uh, 
I mean, technically they're both on my mother's side, but the, 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 the mother's mother's line, the women of that line could not even um, have that conversation because the men were so unwell. And so what they did is they began to take the men and I often see ocean imagery with this line. So they were taking the men to the sea and beginning to let the waves crash upon their heart, beginning to do this ceremony as they held sort of a semicircle around them to get these men more ancestralized and less ghosty. And it was really moving to me to see how these women who would experience such great injustice during slavery, their first priority was getting these men well enough so that this reconciliation could actually happen. Because they just weren't interested in talking people to people who were a weeping mess on the floor and not able to actually give a real apology that wasn't so wound up in their own guilt and pain. And so, yeah. So the contemporary vernacular, so I need to do your emotional heavy lifting for you. <laughs> yeah. Get up. <laughs> yeah, and the ancestors didn't like start, you know, complaining about emotional labor or anything like that. They just stepped up and said, okay, Let's do this. If you're willing to do this, we're going to take this opportunity in this moment and do it because we want this to happen. Because until you are well, none of us are fully well. And so the men eventually did get well enough. I'm sure there's still more work I need to do with them. But in the, just the space of that one drop in with my people, they got well enough to actually have a real conversation. And as they started explaining, not just how they had harmed the women and that they were, were sorry and remorseful for that, but also how they saw how they had harmed themselves in that process and how those harms were coming out of the damage that was already within them, that and the ways they were holding themselves outside of their heart, then the reconciliation started to happen. And what was amazing was as that reconciliation started to happen between those two lines, men from other lineages in my line started coming forward and apologizing for things they had done to women in their lines. And women from their lines started coming forward to listen and hear and speak to their grievances of what had happened to them. And so this, what started out as just two lines connecting, because it was this on this larger cultural scope, many of my ancestors started coming together and doing this big healing work together between men, women, and even some non-binary and queer individuals that had been harmed by this energy of, of um, gendered violence and rape and sexual, sexualized violence. And ultimately the blessing that came forward out of that healing for myself was the sense of my own sort of spirit and soul and mind being able to see deeply and feel at home in my heart in a, in a deeper way than I had felt previously. And I just sat with that after that session for a good, you know, 10 minutes or so, just feeling this new sense of alignment and resting that would never have happened if I had just said, oh, well, those horrible Scottish ancestors are raped and I'm never going to give them honor. I'm never going to talk to them um, because they hurt my ancestors. And realizing that I am also them because they are my blood too. And even though they did horrible acts in their lifetime, I still was required, not required, but I still could choose to see to their healing and in doing so see to my own healing. And there's an aspect of that in that whole, well, why should I have to do this, right? <laughs> right? Of the living, right? Why should I have to do this? Um, but there, there is 
this way, like as I listen to this description, I really just sense you being in it and largely witnessing. Mm -hmm. I mean, asking the questions that move that altered state along, but largely witnessing. And, and, and this is the piece of, of really developing an advanced understanding, a sophisticated and, and advanced understanding of our relationship with the invisible world is they need our presence, which brings free will for that transformation to happen. Why didn't they have the conversation on their own, right, when we weren't there? Because they can't. Not in the way that creates that kind of transformation. It's, it's that that piece is fascinating to me. The other thing that's fascinating, Langston, is that in the training that I did with Maladoma, a, a very similar water ritual was given to us through a divination for precisely the same reason. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what, I mean, water is just such a good teacher in all of this. And I think that's also part of how this lineage was able to so quickly heal these men significantly because they are a line of water priestesses. And mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this medicine of water that is all about what we're talking about, this energy of reconciliation, this energy of bridging and of truly going to those depths, that deeper um, dimension of reality in which that line between victim and victimizer gets very blurry because we're all connected. Um, I've heard the example used in uh, a Buddhist thought sometimes of like seeing oneness or human beings as these like waves on a sea and that like, you know, you can't just take oil because you don't like another wave and pour it into it and not expect to damage yourself in some way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what I feel, the more I step into this larger cultural healing internally in in the ancestor work, I feel how what at least my, I see from my own people, what they want is for those who were the victimizers to feel how in the process they also were victimizing themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. not, that's not super like PC to talk about because they want to be like, oh yeah, the evil, the evil people who did this horrible thing and the poor oppressed people who faced the damage and now we have, to, we have to support them and lift up the oppressed people. And I absolutely agree with that. That's absolutely true. And we have to take into account the very real structural oppression that gives great advantage to those who do harm or who have done harm historically in our culture and those who are the victims of those harms still to this day because of those um, ways that that oppression has been made institutional and woven into our social fabric. And we have to be able to hold as we do this internal and external healing work the way that we all are wounded by this energy, the way that every man who is engaging in misogynistic and patriarchal behavior is also damaging and cutting off parts of themselves in that process. And I think until we start to feel into that with our people, with our ancestors, we actually get in the way of the healing that they're wanting to have happened through us. Well, and we get in the way twofold. We get in the way when we are biased, we get in the way because right? <laughs> there's the bias of no, we have to stand up for those. Like, as you were already saying, you know, we have to stand up for those who were oppressed and the, this, these are the oppressed and these are the oppressors, period. That's the conversation. It's like, well, yes. And, 
The other place that we get biased, though, and this is the more sort of new agey bias, but that sense of, well, you know, the oppressor is also harmed through their oppression, but it's, it's, it's used as a way to step off and out of the conversation. And whereas we're talking about stepping in very, very, very much right into the, 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 the place that the conversation needs to happen with the ancestors and then allowing that possibility where we are both honoring of the actual damage of the oppression and open for this huge unfolding of the understanding exactly how big that damage really is by being in it not using that awareness as a way to step away from it and, and hold it over there, you know, and not, not have to feel it in our own heart. Um, it's important. And, and th this whole ability to step into the work without bias, without a contemporary bias, but without a belief of where the good or bad is, or then the new age bias of, oh, just love everything. <laughs> we just love it all. Love changes everything. Well, yes, and... <laughs> <laughs> it can also be used to silence, to not hear, to smooth over, and to not address the actual wound. Mm -hmm. And the wound defines its own healing. You know, we have to show up for it and be present for it. Yeah. It's something I've seen in my own life as I've been doing a lot of ancestral healing work is how my relationship with family members has changed. Because I think on, a, on that sort of microcosm of the family within the larger culture, so often we do the same thing that we do culturally, which is sidestep around family trauma, which prevents us from being truly intimate with each other. Because we're all trying to navigate around this invisible baggage that we're carrying in our ancestral lines. And I think we do the same thing on a cultural level so frequently um, that there's so much pain. Like you were saying, the 31 flavors of social injustice, there's so much going on that it's extremely painful to actually feel it all. But if we are not willing to break our hearts enough to increase our capacity for love to actually feel the truth of the current reality we're in, it's really hard to actually create any real meaningful change, I think. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I'm speechless in the ec my echoing of yes, hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, and just and the whole. We we are living their unresolved issues already anyway, mm -hmm. <laughs> and propagating so them. Pain. It's just we're numbing ourselves to it and yeah. ourselves off from parts of ourselves, parts of our own hearts that prevent us from actually bringing our purpose and and the change we were born and dreamed by our ancestors to bring into the world because we're not even willing to feel the discomfort that would inspire us to make those changes. And I don't say that with any sense of judgment. I, I say that talking about myself, that it is a constant commitment to work to be able to have the capacity to feel more of the actual trouble we are in. And I'm not talking about that from a sense of masochism or guilt, like, oh, I need to feel so bad for all that I'm contributing to. I'm talking about that in terms of actually having the capacity to feel in my heart without collapsing the pain of what we are doing as humanity to the world, to each other, to ourselves. 
And then through feeling that pain, actually being able to sense into what is needed, what is the larger cultural need that our unique genius can meet if we're willing to share our love in that way with the world versus trying to step into that bypass of, yeah, we're all one, love is great. Like, okay, yeah, we're all one, but have you cultivated the capacity of heart that would allow you to actually walk with the truth of that oneness? And I think that's what we're all being asked to do right now as, as a people, to, to actually break our hearts open enough to no longer be agents of the lie of separation in that way. And then not just to keep our hearts broken, but to heal them, to do the work to heal our hearts from that brokenness to actually have hearts that have, as you would say, Christina, you know, a, are stronger, are more open, are more full, are are more clear, are more courageous and wild enough to actually meet the challenges of our time. Yeah, and this is, you know, that you, you know, you said it already, but I'll bring out that, you know, that other side of that is. Um, you know, not collapsing when we feel, when our heart is broken and we're feeling these profound, huge, heart-wrenching feelings to not collapse into that and start suffering more and to not create a story more, but to just be in it. It's like being in this profound current and to feel and to know that it is the capacity of the living to feel that is the vehicle through which it transforms as long as I don't take it into suffering for the world. I'm feeling for it. And in that felt space, I can feel it's, it's, um, it's almost like feeling these, these hands in the heart this ability to sense as these energies are sliding through and all of that bigness, where is the current of change and to grab onto that and to be a force for that. We can't find that current if we're not broken open by what needs to happen. We have to feel it in our heart. So we can't new agey step away from it and, but we also can't collapse into this profound suffering and, oh, I'm suffering for the world. It's like, well, stop that because you're not helping. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think another way I see that happen, too, slightly differently is, is the way that we flatten ourselves mm, when mm-hmm. we become identified with either the suffering of the world as an oppressed person or um, the guilt of the world as a person who is engaging in oppressive behavior or whose people have engaged in oppressive behavior in the past. And that the more ancestral healing work I've done, the more I can hold and retain the complexity of my personal ancestral makeup of people who were both oppressed and oppressors at different times in their life, even within the same line, even within the same person. And, and in doing so, be more able to hold the complexity of the world and not flatten other people in that same mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think of how irritated we get when we go to the movies and the characters are only two-dimensional. Right? It's yeah. like living life that way. Yeah. Like, well, don't be a two-dimensional character in your own movie. You know? So, you know, this is making me think of the uh, your example with your grandfather. Um, I remember a man... Uh, in in our community, actually, who was dying, and his ancestors wanted to help him. He was Chinese. He was Chinese American, but they were Chinese, and they said, "Well, we need you to, you know, make the traditional offerings." 
and he wouldn't do it because he was Christian. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, you know, it's like, and I'm looking at you and, you know, your grandfather saying, well, you put my picture in a Bible and go do mass. And I'd be like, oh man, really? (laughs) But, you know, that's the, the answer, these actions mean something to our ancestors until they've been well ancestors long enough for that change of awareness like we were talking about at the beginning of the show and sometimes you have to do what they need the way they need it i mean oftentimes you just need to take the steps absolutely and i and it's so often you know when i'm working with clients the steps just come and then they might seem totally random and totally crazy and then afterwards the client's find out that these were actually very traditional or very important for their family for various reasons. But just mm-hmm. thing of like all shamans, that willingness to ask and then take action upon the answer you receive is important. And, you know, my, that story about my grandfather actually is a little different in that, you know, he didn't tell me to put his picture in a Bible and have mass said for him. I was told that by one of my um, spiritual teachers, mm. an antidote because he was so toxic. I did so much ancestral healing work. I had, I had looked at the patterns that he embodied and healed those in our line. I had, um, you know, d- done elevations for him in a very traditional style, and nothing was working. He was like slightly improving, but he still just people would be uncomfortable when they saw his picture, and mm. and like people didn't know him at all. And um, what I and so my teacher had said, you know, just sort of like as a, as an antidote to when ancestral ancestor is really problematic, just put their picture in a Bible to a certain, like, you know, some have a mass said for them and, and then just sort of let them be and don't put their picture anywhere for, for a time and see what happens. And what I ended up doing is having to really heal the entire lineage before I could move him on, that he needs mm-hmm. his grandfathers to be significantly well not just the patterns that they embody, but all of the grandfathers to be significantly well and holding that line of continuity to him before he could have enough support that he needed to actually fully become an ancestor. Mm-hmm. I just think that, that yeah, like we have a lot of te- technologies in different cultures that are about, okay, so if this one is really just a bad one, we just have to like sort of give up on them. I think sometimes maybe that's True, but what I found for me is that I needed that healing on that line to really have access to certain parts of myself that were going to be cut off as long as I cut out that ancestor, in a sense. And so I think this is part of the larger conversation that we're having that of this in these um, a lot of social justice movements or sort of like community organizing organizations um, or organizations really committed to um, being anti-racist, there's a lot of ethic of disposability still that I see. And um, I think in that we lose something because we end up perpetuating the larger oppressive structures of colonialism that we're trying to combat Mm -hmm. in struggles um, when we don't maintain that understanding that we are all connected and that each person holds unique medicine for the larger collective. That's not saying we can't set boundaries and that sometimes we don't need to part ways with people, but so often I don't see a setting of a boundary. I see 
picking a part of one aspect of an organization or an individual that someone doesn't like and using that as an excuse to exile them or banish them mm-hmm. and ignoring any other work they've ever done in their lifetime or and not being interested in engaging in any actual meaningful conversation because that would require intimacy and discomfort. And they're holding themselves out of that discomfort we were talking about that's needed to actually be, or I should say they don't, they haven't had a life that's given them the ability to cultivate that capacity to be in that discomfort without collapse. And mm-hmm. so there's an, a hiding or bypassing in these larger structural problems and using that as an excuse to um, invalidate a person as having any possible contribution, I sometimes see. Yeah, and you can see that on, on on both sides. Someone's had an amazing. We've got some history here in Oregon of some um, politicians that did amazing work for the environment, for example. You know, but they were also sexist pigs, right? <laughs> so now we're gonna what undo these parks all over the state that are beautiful ways of keeping nature in in the presence of people's lives just because they. We're sexist pigs, you know, we got to sort that out. But even more, I mean, when you think about that in our own personal clearing work, how one exiled aspect of ourself can set up this dysfunctional pattern in our whole life, even though this, it's, and it's just a tiny fragment of who we are. And yet it can set the whole thing off course. I think about that in terms of the ancestors and my, my personal attitude and granted, I don't have a tradition that I'm coming from. I'm setting a trans- tra- tradition in motion is that it's not my choice, right? That I still have to figure out with the help of spirit, what are the questions that can move this person out of where they don't belong? If spirit makes a decision in the great what happens after the humans hand them off and spirit sends them to, you know, re-education school for <laughs> 300 years, that's on that side of things. But I feel like I, as a human being, you know, can't give up. That, that I have to find a way with the help of spirit to get these dead people to where they can begin whatever that transformation is. I just, because, and I speak that from a part inside of myself that goes, don't leave me exiled and don't exile me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I'm such a pain in the ass, but don't give up on me, right? Um, I also speak from a woman who's over 40 that immediately become uninteresting to my culture just when I was actually starting to really create good stuff. So, you know, it's like we we don't get it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So we're coming up here at the end, Langston, and I don't want to forget to remind people that um, this – Ancestral Healing Summit with Shift Network begins April 8th through the 12th, 2019. For those of you who are listening, registration is open now, and you do need to register, though this is a free event. And you can register through Langston's Instagram at Occupy Your Hot Heart. Oh, you do it right, Langston, sorry. Yeah, right, yeah. Occupy at uh, Occupy Your Heart. Okay, or at uh, lastmasscenter.org, and you can register now. Um, so with that said, because I don't want to run out of time to say that, um, you can also register for Masks of Illusion right now if you'd like to join a community that involves Langston, myself, and all of these things that we're talking about being able to do since we're all about 
doing this larger social change, you can start with Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self. It's our workshop number one. It begins every year in the summer, and this summer it begins June 2nd through 7th. And the registration is available now. You can go to lastmasscenter.org. It's on the homepage of the website. Um, so with all of that said, we do have a couple minutes, Langston. Is there one last thing that you'd – I'll let you close the show. Is there one last thing that you'd like to, to share here in our last couple minutes about the ancestors? By what's possible when we do ancestral healing work on ourselves or, or engage a practitioner to support us in that ancestral healing work. That I think more than any other modality I know, it has the biggest potential to create instantaneous dramatic change in your life in a relatively short period of time. So I just can't say enough that if you've hesitated or felt unsure about starting to engage that because you're worried about what you'll find there, you know, I, I completely understand that fear and, or you just feel like you don't have enough information. I, I understand both of those fears. And I just feel that there's so few other things that are so necessary and so universally needed by every single individual that I know. So mm -hmm. I highly recommend just, just checking out and, and starting somewhere. If that, that could be just creating a little space for your well ancestor. You don't have to put any pictures, just calling out to the well ones. Christina has a prayer for that and a little practice on the lastmasscenter.org website where you can start there. You can start by just beginning to do a little research, to talk to family members, to ask for the stories that maybe they've avoided telling before. Um, you can start by just starting to look at your own family lines and what you know of them. What are the medicines of our, of our family? What are the burdens? What are the things that we see in every generation that are really problematic or that I even just know in my living family members that I see in myself as well? And there's so many places to start, but just take the first step and trust that when we begin to show up, even in small ways, the ancestors reach back in big ways more often than not. And I can't, it's hard to put into words the feeling of when your people are well, the way you have more access to all of who you are, how things that you maybe just dismiss, this is just how I am, this is the problem I'll have for the rest of my life, suddenly start to be able to resolve because you no longer are carrying the conflict of your people in your bone, in your, in your bones, in your DNA. And so, yeah, I just invite you to begin this journey in whatever way is the next step for you at this time. Thank you, Langston, and thanks to your ancestors for dreaming of a better future that you could be here right now with me in the world. <laughs> I give gratitude to my own ancestors and to all those of you who are listening and know that with the help of our ancestors, we can do what needs to be done. So we give great thanks to our ancestors, human and non-human, standing around us, to the energies above and below, and to the human hearts that unite us all. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Langston. Thank you, Christina. <laughs>